All right, my friends. I was going to put this out as uh, section two in episode 3-276, but I recorded it and found out it was over 22 minutes long, so it just wouldn't fit. So I'm launching it out to you as a crickets episode. That way I can throw in some music at the end. So I think I'm going to steal a piece of music called the work song. Not steal. Steal's the wrong word, especially if you're from the Recording Company of America. Uh, the the uh, music is not stolen. It is on display to sell more records. We used to have records. Those were these vinyl things. Never mind. So anyhow, the music I'm going to stick in the end is probably uh, the work song by the Slackers from a two-CD compilation called Live at Ernesto's, someplace in in Germany or something. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a really good album. You should go buy it. And if you're a lawyer, don't sue me. I'm just trying to help. Good tunes. <sighs> Denver, Denver, Denver. Denver Marathon. Rock and roll, baby. A slight cold breeze had licked up the long streets, and I was chilled. I was ruining throwing away my gloves when the sun came out earlier. Eric, Stephanie, and I padded into the 20-mile aid station and got spread out. I took a cup of sports drink that was mixed strong enough to make your teeth ache and knocked it back. My head went light, and the real world blinked, like momentarily losing the reception on a radio station. Not dizzy, like a loss of balance, but light, like a loss of consciousness, like I stood up too fast. Still running at my pace, I did a systems check and grabbed a cup of water at the next table. And since I wasn't racing, I hadn't thought to eat any Endurolites as the race progressed. I guessed this must be some combination of altitude and electrolyte loss. I fished in my pocket for the baggie and took a couple of my favorite anti-misery salt pills Placebo or not, my mental center returned, and I caught up to Eric on a little rise. We were loosely running together, the three of us, but were starting to become separate dramas as the higher miles applied their weight. Eric said he was going to drop off and walk run the rest of the race, but then caught up to me and said, I guess I'll just stay with you. I was mostly silent at this point, not because I was hurting, but because the race had begun. The real race, that last 10K. My heart rate started to creep up out of zone two, and there was nothing I could do about it. We were picking off the walking dead now, victims of their own hubris, but I was going slow too. Soon enough, I had lost Eric for good, and Stephanie was back behind me somewhere now, as I tried to focus on holding form and turning my feet over enough times to finish this race, my seventh marathon of the year in so many months. There was a long hill through a neighborhood, and I was slowing but consistently passing those for whom this small hill represented some awful, insurmountable challenge. I walked a water stop, and Stephanie blew by, still running that same easy pace we had held for 20 miles. The miles kept coming, and the tall buildings of Denver pulled into view. When the planned weekend came around, 
and I began to actually check on the details of the race, I discovered I'd need to reschedule to an earlier flight in order to make the expo and pick up my packet. I'm like that, especially now in this current whirl of racing. I make the plans and set the date a couple of months ahead, but I don't look at the details until the event is upon me. Denver messes me up. As soon as the airplane wheels kick up dust on the ground of the much maligned Denver International Airport, I feel the altitude in my head like a cross between a hangover and a head cold. It's the high desert. No matter how much water I drink, I'm always dehydrated, muddy-headed, and dry. From this start, my stays in the Mile High City end with chap lips and nosebleeds. I was attending a show at the Denver, Denver Convention Center that week for the marketing team, and perusing MarathonGuide.com, I found that the Denver Rock and Roll Marathon was on the calendar for the same week. In my pattern-matching mind, I saw the obvious fit. I'd come in a day early, run the race. I'd seamlessly meld a race into a business trip. No sense spending my own money when I can cobble a marathon trip together with a business trip. I had a full month to recover from the Erie Marathon and the tweaked hamstring. My legs were still tired and tight from too much racing, but I had no problem working in the Denver Marathon. When I set up the race months before, I figured I'd have my qualifying time, at least in Pocatello in August, and even though I was still empty-handed, I wasn't going to race Denver. I know my limits, and altitude is one of them. Grabbing a cab downtown, I checked into my Marriott and was glad to see a sign that they were opening the Hotel Starbucks at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning to accommodate the runners. I walked the three or four blocks down 17th Street to the convention center where packet pickup and the expo were, the same convention center where my conference would be during the week. It was one big, convenient karma ball of synchronicity. I checked in and wandered dispassionately through the expo. It was a decent expo, with all your typical novelty runner crap. Not much in the swag bag, considering the boastful nature of a rock and roll enterprise. Nothing worth carrying home except another short sleeve tech shirt for the pile. I was surprised to see that the rock and roll event still used the old D-tag timing system when most races have upgraded to the bib-based or B-tags. A consideration for me going into this race of convenience was to see what a rock and roll event was like. I certainly wouldn't have gone out of my way to run one of them. They have a mixed reputation with serious runners. The rap is that there is lots of focus on entertainment and the experience to the detriment of running and racing. To be totally honest, I saw very little difference from any other city marathon. It was a tad extortionary in approach, but I have nothing against voluntary capitalism. It took nothing away from my experience. Everyone had talked about the bands every mile. I can only actually remember a handful of them. Partly because they weren't memorable, and partly because I wasn't paying much attention during the two minutes it took to pass through the quarter mile of their audio influence. I did have my old $5 Sansa clip with that awesome mix of ska and punk in my pocket with the headphone wires running up through my singlet. Sometimes I listen, sometimes I let the headphones dangle while I talked with new friends. The old clip is light, and I can tuck it into the shorts pocket without having to carry it. I had to do some optimization in my packing for this trip. All told, it would be five days of travel. I don't overpack. I'm a travel veteran and a road warrior. 
This was a unique trip in that it was longish, but also a combination of work, suit and tie, with running, shoes and gear, and I only travel with a small duffel bag plus laptop case. It was tight, but the duffel was fine. I decided to bring my hokas because the course had a lot of cement on it and I wasn't planning on racing. I figured the hokas would cushion my legs and keep me from doing any damage. When the race is within driving distance, you can take all your gear and multiple pairs of race shoes. Then when you get there, you can decide how to dress and which configuration is optimal. When you're flying to a race, you have to guess on your race day outfit and live with it. In checking the weather ahead of time, I saw it would be in the 40s for the race. Good racing temps. I like it cool. I went with my normal kit. I met Coach at the expo, and we walked down to the bar area by the Colorado Rocky Stadium and found a place to have a beer. Denver and Colorado, in general, they have great beer. There are a bunch of earthy, crunchy beer snobs, and we found a sports bar and got some dinner and some lovely craft IPAs. I had fish and chips with sweet potato fries. I have a forgiving stomach, so as long as I don't do anything too crazy, I can eat almost anything before, during, and after a marathon. I got back to the hotel and watched the Red Sox beat the Tigers and racked out around 11 o'clock local time, which would have been about 1 o'clock in the morning Boston time. And I laid out my kit on the floor and set my alarm for 5 a.m. The race would start a couple blocks from my hotel at 7 a.m., and as usually happens, I woke up 15 minutes before the alarm, rolled out, and did my normal stretching and rubbing. I went and got my coffee and oatmeal at the early open Starbucks. I was in a good mood. I loved the adventure. The temps were in the 30s to low 40s as the day opened to me like a dry prairie flower. My race kit was my hokas, Zenza calf sleeves that would act as mini tights to help me stay warm, my Brooks baggy shorts, my Squanacook River Runners racing singlet, a pair of cotton running gloves, and my Boston 2013 hat. I also brought my sunglasses and wore my Garmin 305 with the chest strap, and I covered this with a capacious throwaway long sleeve tech shirt to stay warm in the corral and to start the first few miles of the race if I needed it. My strategy for this race was to run by effort level, and since I was running at altitude, I, did, I didn't want to go out too fast or at race pace. I decided to run in heart rate zone as long as I could, and then maybe throw in a surge at the end if I felt like it. I set my Garmin to only show distance, time, and heart rate. I kept pace off the display. When I opened my race packet the night before the race to get my stuff ready, I realized that they had not given me any pins for my bib. No big deal. I just find some in the morning. When I got up, I went to the guy at the front desk at the Marriott, and I asked for four safety pins, and he proceeded to disassemble four of those little complimentary sewing kits to give me the safety pin out of each one. That's some service. I also bummed some rubber bands off them to hold my credit card, my ID, and $20 together so I wouldn't have to take my wallet. The Starbucks was full of nervous folks who were running their first marathon, and it was fun to watch them worry about the race. I, I sent some snarky tweets about it out to the world. It was still dark as I left the hotel and began to walk the two to three blocks to the start. Crisp and cool, I didn't really know where I was going to go, so 
I just followed the crowd. And the good thing about a big race is that you can always find someone much more organized to follow. I ingratiated myself into the first scouting party I could find, hoping someone would ask me if I ran many, many marathons. And I talked to an older gentleman who was running the half who had just had a heart attack, had the surgery, and now was back to running. <laughs> Runners are nuts, and they are more than willing to tell you about it. Most of the people I chatted up were running the half or the relay. I got to the start corrals, and it was a bit of a zoo. There were portageons with long lines and lots of nervous people milling around, not knowing what to do. And since it was a rock and roll marathon, there were premium porta potty lines too. And those, ironically, were pretty long. I did not have an urgent need and figured since I wasn't racing, I'd just pull off the course at some point in the race if I needed to. I went searching for the bag check and I asked everyone I met, where's the bag check? And was eventually directed to the other side of the park. I ran into a British woman who was rather flustered and was looking for the bag check as well. And I took her onto my wing, gave her some tape to tape up her bag. The race bags were like cheap backpack courier bag thingies that didn't actually close at the top. They were open at the top. And I had planned ahead and brought some tape. And the same tape I used for my toes to keep my toenails from falling off. And I gave some to the British lady to seal her drop bag. And I sealed mine. And we dropped them off. I still had some time, so I went for a wander around the start area to see if maybe I couldn't find a secluded tree that needed watering, but there wasn't much there. I did find a beautiful Sports Authority winter hat that they were giving to the volunteers. Score! I have no problem sticking such a prize into the waist of my shorts for four hours. That's how I used to collect Ronzoni hats at Boston in the 90s. The corrals were weird. Not bad. Not bad weird, just different. They loaded all the runners together by predicted pace. The result was that in my corral, the third corral, there were marathoners, half marathoners, and relay runners all jumbled together. They sent everyone off in waves by corral. No one was checking whether you were in the right corral or not, but there wasn't any conflicts or jostling. I just settled into the back of corral three and soaked it all in. I took my hat off for the anthem, but I didn't cry. Maybe I'm getting over my Boston PTSD. The sun was coming up now, and it didn't feel so cold, so I tossed my extra shirt off to the side of the corral ropes. Someone in Denver now has a Derry Road Race shirt. We're off. No tears. No epiphanies. Just another Sunday morning. Just another race. I slid my dark racing glasses down off my hat and got ready to rumble. I was trying to run by heart rate, and my target was to keep it in zone 2, but my heart rate in the first couple miles was all over the place as my body warmed up and the chest strap tried to make connections through the, my dense fur and the cold, dry morning air. It took three miles before I finally got the heart rate to settle down into a zone 2, and coincidentally, I found myself running behind the 150 half-marathon pace group, and this was a nice placeholder for me. I was having trouble keeping my pace down, and it kept creeping. I kept running ahead, and this guy with the sign was my anchor. And I knew if I just kept him in front of me, then the pace would be about right. And I pulled over around five miles to use one of the porta potties, but there was a long line, so I kept going. And I tried again at the next opportunity and got it done. 
In the process, I lost maybe one to two minutes. The half marathon pace group was out of sight, though, when I came out. So I picked it up a little, and I reeled them back in. It felt good to be passing people. The race data shows I was dipping down into the mid-seven-minute miles for a mile or so. And after a bit, I was able to catch up to them when the race entered the park around, I don't know, seven, eight, nine-mile mark. And up to that point, the course had been urban with a bunch of 90-degree turns. And there was a minor hill early, as and, and then mostly gradual, almost imperceptible, long gains and losses of 1% or, or less. They lay out these rock and roll courses to be efficient for the volunteers and the organizers. It's a business, after all. They try to keep the course footprint as tight as possible, and the result is a bunch of 90-degree turns and 180-degree turns where you go out a street, go around a cone, and come back. And Denver has pretty wide roads in the city, and it wasn't that hard to navigate all the turning. In the first 10K or so, the field was a bit dense, especially on the corners. But I can honestly say that I never got blocked and was never really inconvenienced in any of the turns. But I soon learned there was an advantage to running the tangents. The difference between taking all those corners wide or running the tangent was probably worth 100 feet or so over the length of this course. It must have been really hard to certify. I jogged along for the rest of the half marathon, chatting up the 150 pace group guy. I told him I'd give him 20 bucks to stay on the course and pace me through the end, jokingly. And he pointed out another marathoner who was pacing him, and I hitched up with the other marathoner in the pack, Eric. And it was a good thing that I had some company, because when the half marathoners split off at their finish line, the pack really thinned out. And Eric and I kept going. We trotted ahead through another, or maybe the same, park. And he was looking to finish without hurting himself. I told him my zone strategy, and he was on board. And we picked up a young woman, Stephanie, and we had our little pack set for the middle miles. I suppose it would have been a strange social grouping in another setting. I was the chatty gray beard with the heart monitor and the stories, and Eric, a uh, 30-something triathlete with plenty of fitness but no specific training for the marathon distance, trying not to outrun his legs. And Stephanie was a 20-something marathoner, already qualified for Boston, and running the race for training. And here we formed a caring band and chatted away as I tethered two strangers from different generations to my old heart's beating chant. And we got into a, that happy place where the miles disappear. And before you know it, someone is saying, wow, 18 miles already? I would occasionally look at my garment and say, slow it down a little. I would repeat my mantras of pace and form and cadence for anyone who would listen. And mostly we just ran, enjoying the day as clouds rolled in and, and obscured the sun. At one point, an aggressive headwind kicked up, and I instructed my small pack on the fine art of drafting. It had significantly thinned out after the half, but there were still plenty of runners on the course. At one point, some dopey marathon maniac decided it would be a great idea to start walking right in front of me without any warning, and I came within centimeters of rolling my hokas over the edge of the park road. The city roads were a bit beat up and lumpy. I was happy to have my hokas with their plentiful cushioning to even up the playing field for me and smooth out the ride. In departure from custom, since I wasn't racing, I didn't carry a bottle. I only had one hammer gel in my pocket, and it stayed there the whole race. That That is one well-traveled hammer gel. <laughs> I took Gatorade and water on the course, as I thought was needed, 
and at my relatively relaxed zone 2 effort level with the cool weather, I didn't think I was losing too much through the sweat. At one point in the race, they were handing out goose, and I took one, and it was that nasty orange flavor. And I think that's the actual name of it, nasty orange. And as I'm getting older, I'm starting to more and more dislike gels in general. I was going to try to close the race hard, but with three miles left and some pesky hills, I was spent. And my pace slowed up towards nine-minute miles, and it became a bit of a slog. Nothing awful, just a slog. And there was one final short, steep hill in the city right before the finish that caused me to walk a little, but it paid back with a steepish downhill cascade into the finish. So I kicked it through the finish line and began my hunt for a space blanket because I was freezing. The temperatures had dropped steadily, and the wind had picked up with a front moving in. It was just now 11 o'clock in the morning, and I had another medal for my rack. They were passing out water bottles, full-size Gatorade G2 bottles, chocolate milk, and Jamba Juice treats, like sort of like a sherbet-y consistency. And even though my teeth were chattering, those Jamba Juice things were really good. I had two of them. I shivered over and got my bag. Unfortunately, I did not have anything warm to put on, just the short-sleeved tech shirt from the race. So I found my fuzzy hat that I had found and took that out. People weren't hanging around, but I went into the Bud Light party area to watch the band and the Patriots game on the outdoor bar TV. I shivered through a cold beer, waiting to see if Joe Beers might show up. And eventually I gave up and shivered my way back the three or four blocks to my hotel in my space blanket, like a big cold baked potato. And back at the hotel, I took a very long very hot shower, and watched the rest of the football game. I got cleaned up and went back down to the convention center to set up the booth, and when I came out, it was pouring rain, and it caught me by surprise. I had to slug through back to the hotel, where I dried off, put on my work clothes, and spent the evening smiling and swapping business cards with the rest of my world. I'm glad I made the time to run this race, it was a low-stress affair for me that I, that I really enjoyed after the months of hard racing. I managed to run a well-managed, adult, even-split 341, which is right on and even better than I have run at recent races that I attacked, flamed out, and burned at. I didn't even start to work hard until after 20 miles. I think this bodes well for future races. Next up is Fort Myers where I will throw myself at it again, see what I can do. Rock on, my friends. All right, people. This one. It's the true ska. Which was originated in Kingston, Jamaica in the 60s. We bring you first
machine besides Akio. En daarop heb je heel een vaat beelwijk. Maar de rest de baas, dat krijgt de zoeken. De buiten speel je een paar lukkers. Jongens, gezondheid. Hier zijn een keer slakkers. Dan je applaus voor slakkers. What he said. You tell him. <laughs> Run the beat, Zulu.